0: Well guys, happy Sunday to you. Hopefully you're doing well. I know as we get ready for Be Rich is our annual generosity campaign where we sort of, this is our Kickstarter throughout the year. where We partner with local nonprofits to resource them, support them. But it's also an opportunity for us to continue what we're doing and kind of build on what we're already doing because every month we give money away um, to our networks, for church planning, relief efforts, for mission work. And we're so incredibly thankful to be able to do that. One of the tensions and the reason why we're going this direction with Be Rich this year is because over the last 10 years, I've noticed that we have a tendency to be really good at giving emotionally, but not really good giving devotionally. Like when something comes up, we're like, like a need, like, hey, we're going to fight human trafficking, which we have in the past, or we're going to dig wells in, in Africa, and we're like, man, I'll give cash, I'll give a check, I'll even give you my credit card, like, let's go. Like we're really good at that. But when it comes to the devotional, a regular, recurring, predeciding deciding uh, level of our income that we're giving back to the local church, we're not really good at that. We're not really good at that. And my challenge over the next, and I have no control of your life, <laughs> but I'm going to kindly suggest that you flip the script on your finances. And it's going to be complicated for some and more simpler for others. For some of us, We know that if we talk about this at home, we're going to be arguing, we're going to be fighting with our spouse. We don't want to be saying things we're going to regret. I get that. And we've all heard that, the saying that uh, a means to an end, that money can be a means to an end. But really what we're saying is this pot of money is going to get me to the next best thing like it's going to close me out on this phase and i can't wait to get to the next phase we say the same thing about a job well this job is getting me to an end and i will get to a new beginning we're looking for something fresh we're looking for something better what if instead money was a means to an end what if it was an end to a means What if instead money was a means to an end? It was an end to a means. Instead of getting us to the end of something or the next best something or the next something, it becomes an investment to a means that changes your life and those around you. Perhaps you will be able to relate to what Philip Yancey wrote in his book, Money, as he describes the tension he deals with as a Christian related to money. Many Christians have one issue that haunts them and never falls silent. For some, it's sexual identity. For others, a permanent battle against doubt. For me, the issue is money. It hangs over me, keeping me off balance, restless, uncomfortable, nervous. I feel pulled in opposite directions over the money issue. Sometimes I want to sell all that I own and join a Christian commune and live out my days in intentional poverty. At other times, I want to rid myself of guilt and enjoy the results and the fruits of this nation's prosperity. Mostly, I wish I did not have to think about money at all, but I must somehow come to terms with the Bible's very strong statements about money. See, Jesus knew something about money. He he knew something about money, and he's going to teach on that. See, Jesus knew that the love of money over promises and underdelivers. It's that promise of just a little bit more. Just a little bit more, I'll be able to get that, or I'll be able to go there, I'll be able to buy that. Just a little bit more. And the love of money promises, overpromises and underdelivers because what happens when we get that? It's not enough. If we just had a little bit more, we'll be able to get the next best thing. Just a little bit more, just a little bit more. The financial pressure that many of us feel has nothing to do with how much we make. It has more to do with what we did with what we had. What we do with what we have. The pressure we feel would make no sense to people around the world if they knew how much we made. For us, if we only had more money. For those around the world, most people... They would say if you only had more self-control. Self-control determines who gets control. Who serves whom. And with this in mind, our money, I think, would say, if it could talk to us, I think it would say this, I'm I'm a better servant than I'm a master. And honestly, I go wherever you tell me to go. That's what our money would tell us. Well, I go wherever you tell me to go. And this is where faith intersects our finances. If you're a follower of Jesus... God, your Heavenly Father, my Heavenly Father, through His Spirit, will always nudge you and I forward. Always nudges towards His values, His kingdom, His plan, His purposes. And we talked uh, last month about the human condition that all of us, were born with this sin nature. And sin is not just what we do, it's also who we are. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, it no longer has to have authority over our lives. That Jesus becomes our authority. And Paul writes this as he's talking to, to a local church. And he's encouraging them, man, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, our sin nature. He said, man, be in sync with the Spirit. Be in sync with what drives God what, what God desires, you ought to desire. What God wants, you ought to want. And the way that we know that we have the Holy Spirit in us is when we are warned. Right, It's that still, small voice warning us not to, not to do something or not to, to, not to say that. When you experience a little bit of guilt when you do something you know you shouldn't do. That, those are evidences that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, nudging you Towards God's way. And He says, when you begin to listen to the Holy Spirit, when you begin to answer the nudges, he says, This is the stuff that is going to be produced in your life. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, Against such things, there's no law. He said, You don't need a law for good things that benefit you and benefit other people. You don't need a law for that. Laws are put in place when it harms other people. It harms you. That's the outcome when we say yes to God. We shouldn't be surprised that God is nudging us towards self-control. Because at the end of the day, nobody wants to be mastered by an appetite. Nobody wants to be mastered by emotion. Nobody wants to be mastered by drama. Besides, you and I already have a master if we believe in Jesus. And Jesus makes this brilliant observation for his disciples and and the audience. He says, No one can serve two masters. The word masters is kairos, which means one who's in charge by ownership. And the Greeks would translate it Lord. The point Jesus is making is that you can't have two lords. You can't have two masters. You can't have two kings. You can't have two owners. You can't. He says either you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Simply, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. And he really throws this question out in so many words. Do you have money or does money have you? Do you have money or does money have you? And we may shrug this off. And I know I've shrugged this off before. <laughs> and we may think, well, it doesn't have me because I don't have enough of it to have me. So who is he talking to? He's talking to everyone. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. Because we know the moments when we pursue the love of money. When you begin to pursue the next best thing, what begins to take a back seat? Him. Why does the church need my money? Why does God want me to do this? What happens? We begin to despise. Because our attention is pursuing the next best thing. Jen Pollock-Michael, she provides us really good thought in her book, Teach Us to Want. She writes, It is often true that once we are made to see, we don't like what we apprehend. Spiritually seeing we learn who we are. We recognize our heart's attachments. We see the things that we're willing to sacrifice time and money for. We we see the things that we're willing to get up early in the morning for or stay up late at night for. That we're willing to drive hours for. She says we see into our own heart of darkness. It should be of no surprise that when Jesus teaches about cholerae health of eye and body, he does so in the context of money. No one can serve two masters, he says, for either you're going to hate the one and you'll love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then she says this, Spiritual sight gives us the frightening capacity for recognizing what we have loved, and desired more than God. Just let that sink in. Just let that sink in for a second. I know that I'm looking back at my last couple of weeks. See, everyone is at risk of making money their ultimate pursuit or their ultimate concern, which makes it their ultimate. let's be honest for a moment. Who should be ultimate in your life? Jesus. If we've committed to following him as our king, kings demand allegiance. And it's much easier, and I think if we're honest, it's much easier to trust God with our sin, our sorrow, our soul, than our money. And Jesus knew that, and he was super clear that if you haven't surrendered what you have, then you really haven't surrendered. If you haven't given him access to what you have, he doesn't have you. You've opted for the lesser master. And Jesus addressed this tension and explained the way forward, and he does so in terms that we all understand, and those are priorities. He says, seek first, his kingdom, and his righteousness. All of these things, our needs, our clothes, our food, will be given to you as well. The discipline that you and I need to have it with Jesus is letting us know, man, you need the pursuit of more, the lust for better. You need to keep that out of the driver's seat. You need to keep those two things out of the driver's seat because it is not going to lead you to my values, my kingdom values, the right way of living. It's not going to lead you to that. He says I want you to pursue our heavenly Father. Pursue your heavenly Father and all of these other things that you need will be provided for you. When we put us first, we come in last. When we put us first, we come in last. When you come first, you have a difficult saying no to you. Eventually, you are mastered not by you, but by your emotions, by your appetites, by your sin nature. Very influenced by that. Deep down, nobody wants to be mastered by appetites and emotions. <laughs> Do you know that by the end of the day, and I think we're, we're, if we're all honest, we all know this to be true, At the end of the day, we're running out of energy, man. We all are. That's why we need to sleep. Our energy is being depleted throughout the day. And we typically make poor decisions when our energy is depleted. We buy food that is convenient. We don't want to cook dinner, so we buy fast food. We purchase things online because it's going to make our lives better faster. (laughs) Like when our energy is depleted, we buy things like this. Like, we think this is a good idea. As we were created to seek first our creator. When things get out of order, things get disordered. So what do we do? And Jesus told us, we need to flip the script. Because this typically is how we live as Americans. It's a me first living with some leftover giving. Live, save, and give. Welcome to average. Welcome to keeping up with the Joneses. Welcome to just like everybody else. And look, if, if, if all there is to this life is that, that makes sense. Like if all there is to this life is this life, then that all makes sense. But if we believe who Jesus claimed to be, then we need to flip it around and have seek ye first living with priority giving, give, save, and live like we talked about this last week about the ten ten eighty plan and during the capital campaign, which we 've extended and, and we continue to keep it open because of some bills that we 've had come along after. After the plans got approved, there were some changes. In fact, uh, we calculated about $116,000 worth of changes that we had to pay out of our savings. And we still have a $33,000 thing that needs to be covered. And so we're leaving that open. But during the capital campaign, during the first couple of years of the capital campaign, uh, Jenny and I, we had prayed and asked God what he wanted us to do. And we had already been giving a little bit over 10%. and. We felt God leading us to give 20%. And look, when, when I'm praying about it and, and God's telling me that, man, that is not natural for me. Obviously, the Holy Spirit w- was nudging me towards that. And so we gave 20. We saved 10. And we lived on 70 during the capital campaign, during the two, first two years of the campaign. God came through when our AC went out, And when our house got struck by lightning, God came through. See, give first means that I need to prioritize God and his values and his kingdom. Because I've submitted to Jesus as my king. Giving first is is a foundational habit that's going to lead to a rich, deeper, and more meaningful relationship with our Heavenly Father. And Jesus was clear, man, the test of our devotion to God is willingness to put him first in the arena of money and possessions. And if you're not already doing this, I have a two-month challenge for you. What if for the next two months, you chose a percentage of your income and gave it away as soon as you got paid? The point is to pre-decide to give and give it first. Off the top. The, The second part is... Just as important as the first, pay attention to the internal tension this creates. Listen closely to the conversations in your mind. Beginning right now, because I think for some of us, we already had the excuses going. Why are we resisting? We need to be honest with ourselves, man. To the one who has followed Jesus, don't fool yourself. Until Jesus is first in your finances, he's not first. You're not a follower. You're you're just a believer. You're not a a giver. You're a user. Guys, Jesus, listen. Jesus told his disciples this. And listen, Judas still tried it. He still tried it his way, and it didn't work out. And Jesus said, man, I don't want you to miss it. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So it leads us to to this challenge for, for those in the room. What if for the next two months you chose a percentage of your income and gave it away as soon as you got paid? What if you gave it to the local church? Imagine the impact. Because I believe you're going to find out this had very little to do with money. It had very little to do with money. It had to do with our dependence and faith in God. Heavenly Father, we are incredibly thankful that you taught us about something as important as money. You spoke more about money than you did heaven, Jesus. And and I believe the reason why is because you want us to live out your values here and now. So that other people can understand what it looks like to live a life with you as king. That your values are so much better than the values of our culture. Father, I ask that people would step up and do this challenge. That people go from being believers to followers. People go from being users to givers. People go from having money, mastering them, to God, leading them, directing them. God, I ask that you would allow us to take the courage to look at the tension that this brings. Help us not to give the excuses. Help us not to find excuses. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.